everybody. You are listening to the Carrera Podcast. This is Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. And today we are meeting with Darren Poindexter, and we thought it would be timely to discuss the current events that are happening based around the murder of George Floyd and the protests and the riots that are happening because of that. And we thought that it would be a good opportunity to take this time as educators, academics, and also for parents and guardians to think about how to talk about this, uh, these situations, these current, um, I guess, protests and all of that with your kids. So with that said, um, thank you for joining us, Darren. And can you just tell us a little bit of a background about you, who you are, where you come from, where you live, and we'll start from there. Uh, yes, just a brief introduction. Uh, my name is Darren Poindexter. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and um, I've, I graduated from Robert Morris College, now Robert Morris University in Pittsburgh. And after I graduated, I was able to enjoy about five years of professional basketball throughout Eastern and Western Europe. And upon returning from Europe, I was involved with um the youth in our communities and after school programs and then it turned into a year round program of basketball clinics and uh, different activities for the kids to be engaged in so they can stay out of gang activity. And I was, and after that, I, I relocated to Los Angeles and with the help of, with the assistance of Fred, I was able to uh, get um, a job with Crenshaw high school for four years, three and a half years. And then uh, I did, a, I did a half a year in Gardena high school. But um, what grade level? Uh, ninth grade. Okay. Ninth grade. I taught life skills, which is very, very uh, important and important to uh, what we're the topic that we're uh, engaging in right now. Absolutely. So, when you were teaching life skills, did you have these difficult conversations with your students? Did I did? Um, I made them. I made them also make them aware of current events every week. And they had to uh, write about what was going on in the world, uh, not only locally, but internationally. And uh, I think it opened up their world to something that um, was very important to them because a lot of them see only the happenings that go on in their communities, that little microcosm that they exist in. And I think it's very, it's much more important for them to understand that there's a great big world out there and as much as they see despair and, you know, dire situations where they are, they also need to understand that um, there's, there's, there's things going on in the world that also affect their well-being and it's important for them to be exposed to. Yeah. So how are um, the riots and the protests and things like that affecting you right now? Um, well, myself, I think it's very important that they, they happen. Mm -hmm. um the looting and so forth of course that's not necessary i think the message can get across with the gatherings because that is our right to do so mm -hmm. and unfortunately there's more to be done because we've been gathering and marching and protesting for a long time in this country yeah. and nothing's changing so there's 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 much more to the strategy but i think this is a wake-up call because it's now not just uh, across our nation but it's also global Right. Yeah, and and Darren, can you can you talk to to that aspect too? Because you were um, um, obviously not not everyone could, upon graduation and playing basketball, um, they could get up and go to to another country and go play basketball. Can you 
can you share your your experiences there too and then um and then parallel that with with ex, with experiences here yes um I started out in Western Europe, but I'm going to start my uh, commentary with my experiences in Eastern Europe because Eastern Europe is totally different than Western Europe. And um, when I started out in Western Europe, I was there the year the wall went down. Wow. And that was very important. And that was a big celebration that I took part of. And it was, it, was, it was amazing to be a part of. And then fast forward five more years, I find myself in Eastern Europe on the other side of the wall in Slovakia and Bratislava for two two years and I played two seasons there and there was a stark contrast in the way of life over there. Um, I had run-ins with skinheads. Wow. I had run-ins with locals and uh, it was, it was a very, very different experience. And a lot of it is fueled by how they perceive us in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I had an interesting conversation with a, a teammate on a bus ride to a game and I happened to look into his magazine and I saw a caricature of a black man behind bars in a zoo with white people looking at him and like, wow. make him. and this is 1996. Wow. And I was, I, I asked him about the cartoon. He said, oh, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. And I said, no, man, that's serious. And I, and I actually tore the page out of his book and I went back to my seat. And then some other players came and apologized and so forth. But that just shows you how ingrained and how media-driven a stereotype and a persona is and a stigma is placed above us just because we have black skin and not only America, but worldwide. Yep. Well, and then when you, and then um, now fast, fast forward once again about now, now, now you're teaching at uh, uh, predominantly black, black high school. Um, And then, and then, then also, also being a, uh, contributing member of the of the, the community there. How was how was life there? Crenshaw was coming from Pittsburgh. First of all, going to uh, back then they called it South Central LA. Now it's just called South LA. I'm pretty sure um, that was a big big eye opening experience for me because I had come from like I said working with uh, at risk youth and in, in troubled areas and gang infested areas, but nothing like the real life that was going on in, uh, in Crenshaw. And it was fortunate. I think it was a, it was a blessing and a godsend that I got to teach life skills there because like I said, these kids needed to see how life worked outside of regular academia, you know, and, and my biggest takeaway from working at Crenshaw, aside from getting, getting through to the kids was seeing how lacking of resources inner city schools are. And that causes a huge disparity in how in, in our way of life and how we can and how we can become upstanding citizens in our own communities and in the in the and in the nation at large. If you're willing or you're if you're willing to not educate a certain segment of society, you're going to have them become criminals. You're going to have them become mm-hmm. uh, unlawful in, in, in many different in many different areas. If you don't choose to educate them. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you, 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 can, you look at the um, other schools around you and they're funded and they got resources and they're being successful. And, and then it's all, it all comes into play. This whole, this whole machine is just, is just rigged against us because if you have a criminal element, then you have to build prisons and then they privatize the prison. And then you have to stock these prisons. And in order to stock them, you have to have a certain population to, to go inside. 
So I hope I'm not rambling, but this is all is all related. No, you're right. It is all related. And the other thing is, I don't think people really truly understand how fundamental education is at the root of this problem. Yes, yes. I think is I think it's the very very root of all these issues that we have right now because they would not let us be educated people, mm-hmm. and therefore you can't sustain jobs, you can't build wealth, you can't. Mm-hmm. You can't take care of your families. You can't be a head of a household. You can't, you can't. There's a lot of things you cannot do if you're not educated. And I like the way that you're saying it, that we're choosing not to educate this pop, this population, because that's truly is what it is, because, you know, people choose to move to areas that have good schools and right. they have good schools because they pay more taxes and they that money right. goes to the school. And so then the poorer areas pay less in taxes, have worse schools. And so it's not equitable across the board. Like that distribution of funds needs to right. be equitable across all schools, not just schools that live in nice neighborhoods. Right. And they've also made it the norm for black folks to have something to achieve and say, this is, I'm, I have a modicum of success now that I'm able to go to this school or I'm able to live in this neighborhood. Right, right. That, that's, and that's not realistic because the norm for them is just easy living. The norm is just, that is their norm is to have these access to resources and so forth. But they make it for us, they make it a goal, they make it, they make it an achievement for us to be able to get this type of education or to live a certain way. And that's also a detriment to our, to our well-being. Yeah, yeah and, and someone like me, I, I I hate to admit it, but I'm going to, but like I it's my my privilege, my white privilege, and I have that expectation that I'm gonna go to a good school and that I'm gonna get a good education and that I don't have to worry about that. But I see the the disparity and like and the way that we as a society make it seem like, oh, we're doing you a favor. You're welcome. Right. Correct. And 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 we also see, and, and, and I think, um, I think what I'm hoping this will, everything that's taken place, what, what I hope this will do is, is, is continue our own conversation about, about, about all segments of our, of, of our population. Because when, when we, um, all of us here travel and we, you know, and we love traveling. And I think that one of the commonalities that that we see when we do travel is that people are bilingual and trilingual and yes. but here in the US we don't really think about that we don't we don't right. prize that and and one of the things that was that was going on here when when in California when I was when I was teaching in a in a inner city um, highly highly hispanic school and and community was that people were trying to get rid of bilingual education for the reason that you know well it's not it's not working it's 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 taking up funds as if the dare project hasn't been taking up millions of dollars in funds and it's not working but i digress um Mm -hmm. but one of the one of the things many many of us educators were talking about is why don't they want bilingual education because guess who would be who would be the first people to be truly bilingual? Yes, if you're brown skinned, it's your Asian kids. Um, and do we want them in the workplace? Do we do we want them to be managers and supervisors and owners and 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 it's a systemic problem 
um, that that I'm that I'm hoping you know this that that we continue this in order to let people know that hey we're still here um, you know and 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 we need to and we do need to change this yes so Darren you're wearing a shirt that says I can't breathe and I'm sure you get some reactions from that when you wear that out I'm curious um, can you talk about that a little bit Yes, I've been wearing it all week along with uh, the, my Black Lives Matter t-shirts and a couple other shirts that are relative. But um, the, the looks that I get have been mostly positive, mm. believe it or not, here in Atlanta, down in the South. But I, but actually, I'm in the metro Atlanta area, so there's a lot more diversity in the, in the city. If I, was to go, if I was to go an hour any direction, I'm sure I would, my looks would be uh, a lot more different. Mm-hmm. And But at the same time, I've been surprised to see the positive uh, reactions. A lot of people ask me where did I get it, and they they feel my pain and they wish things would change and and all of the above. But um, I haven't run into any negativity uh, as of yet. And as of today, um, all my family we're also going to have a peaceful protest in one of the areas uh, close to our house later on this afternoon. Good. Um, so, you said that you've had that shirt a while. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I got this shirt back when Eric Garner was killed back in what was that, 2014? And I think that uh, it's sad that people are being ignored way back then, even with the movement of Colin Kaepernick uh, three years ago. Yeah. He was ignored, and now everybody's uh, trying to save face and say, oh, we, we made a mistake and we did that. That's just a small, small dip in the large bucket of the apology or the acknowledgement that is necessary. Uh, for this country, not just certain institutions or industries, but this entire country to recognize that they did something fundamentally very, very wrong and very bad. If you look internationally, you look at Germany, Germany apologized for the Holocaust. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've given reparations to a lot of different uh, uh, international um, entities um, from from American standpoint, but we will not acknowledge uh, the, the black people in America and I, I try to tell folks that uh, when we talk about systemic issues, you have to understand this country was not founded or created or the Constitution was not created with us in mind. We were in chains when they wrote these constitutions and yeah. these laws. And we were not even considered a full human being. We were property. Yep. So, I mean, and I think the, I think the changes that will have to come um, from this movement will have to be and Fred, Fred kind of knows this about me, but I was never a voter. I never was a big uh, fan of the government. But when you look at what's going on in this country, it's not a federal issue. This is a local and a state issue. You have to look at your district attorneys. You have to look at your mayors. You have to look at your police chiefs. You have to look at your commissioners. All the people that we vote into these uh, public servant positions mm-hmm. have to be held accountable. We need to start digging into their records, find out what their record is on prosecutions, find out what their record is on how they handle complaints. And then we need to just hold them accountable to those records and say, you're not you're not doing what you said you want to do and you're not being humane. And we need to vote these people out. Yeah. And uh, I was never a big proponent of voting. And I still think that voting on a federal level is a rich man's game. But the state and local is where we are affected the most. Yes. So true. Yeah. So and how do so, you, <laughs> let's go ahead, Moya. on each other. Um, <laughs> just kidding. 
Um, so I, I'm curious, uh, how do you, how do you propose talking to kids about this topic right now? Wow. At all ages, what? even, you know, little ones, because little ones are like, what's happening? Yeah. Right, right. I think that this conversation does not change over the years. Um, I remember my mother telling me, because my mother, um, I wrote a, I wrote a, um, I guess an article you can say about my mother, about how she grew up and she was the help. You know, she was born in 1927. So mm-hmm. the Great Depression landed when she was two years old. And being black in that era, you had no jobs, you had no opportunities, you had no, you had nothing. So she was the help for these rich white folks. And, but she, for, she had every reason to be angry, every reason to teach me to be a militant, every reason to say, don't be friend or be careful or do this or do that. But she was open-minded enough to make me, to understand my inner hippie and my uh, flower <laughs> child and I, and, and allow me to just be around all these people. And she would take me to these rich white folks' homes and I would play with their kids. And we would, and I, I have a, I have a longstanding relationship with them to this day. And I told Fred, those, these people are the Littmans, the, the lawyers that represented Connie Hawkins in his uh, blackball um, uh, situation with the NBA. So the conversation has to still be there. Everybody's not bad. And that's what my mother always preached. She said, there's good and bad in every race. There's good and bad in every person. Mm-hmm. So that there's, it's not going to be something where you need to hate all white people. You need to hate all of any race. You have to let people show you who they are and act accordingly. And then you have to take pride in who you are as a person. And that doesn't matter what color you are. You need to be proud of who you are, where you come from. And uh, the family that raised you and all these things that contribute to you to being a well-rounded human and individual in this society. And I think in order to do that, you have to have conversations with kids at a very young age because nobody's born hating. Nobody is born judging. You're taught. You are taught that. And if you Mm -hmm. and if you can teach anybody that is willing to learn and that have the have the capacities to understand what's going on, I think that's where it has to start. And even adults, and you said something key where you said willing to learn because so many adults when proposed with this as a topic, as being confronted with their white privilege are immediately on the defense about it. Like, Oh, I had a tough life too. I had blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But you weren't, you weren't, you didn't have the color of your skin also against you. Like, sure. I'm not taking away the fact that you didn't have a hard life. That's not what we're talking about here. But um, someone I recently had a conversation with about this same topic, um, he said, my dad raised me to say, always act right, because as a black man, you're always going to have two strikes against you. So, like, like that's not something someone who's white has to ever really consider. You know, like, you're automatically not given the benefit of the doubt just based on the color of your skin. And that's something right. that I think when when people who are a little bit more closed um, and like as Fred said, maybe just not as well traveled, you know, just haven't experienced much of the world might feel defensive about that. And being willing to learn and open to have these conversations and to just hear someone explain their experiences, I think, can do a lot. Right, right. And I think it's more than just the... Um 
Um, I think we have to get back to the the roots of how we all grew up. You know, we came up in an era where you had after school programs. You had all types of programs that taught you vocations. You had all types of programs that taught you life skills. And uh, that's why I was so impressed that there was actually a subject called life skills at Crenshaw. And I think it was a godsend that I was able to go teach that. But I also grew up with Urban Youth Action, which was a which was a nonprofit organization where inner, inner city kids learned life skills. And I would go to these things. I would catch the bus after school downtown and spend two or three hours learning how to write resumes, learning how to uh, know the difference between a business letter and a personal letter, knowing, mm-hmm. you know, knowing how to balance your checkbook, knowing all these different life skills yeah. that we now institute in our youth today. But the, the system, so to speak, has taken away uh, uh, after school gyms. They've cut funding for recreation, um, community recreation centers. Um, we don't have these things anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's there's nothing there for kids to do after they get out of school except go play or get into some type of trouble. Yeah, and, and I if think you don't, that's the problem. Yeah, that's and if you don't come problem. from money, like your your parents can't put you in dance or karate or right. whatever after school curriculars that a parent would have to pay for. Yeah. And when I have the conversation with my white counterparts and they say, well, we didn't come up easy and we worked hard and da, 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 da. I said, I said, you have to understand that we I didn't come up hard either. I was not gangbang or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I still see that I had to work twice as hard. I had to make an impression. Here comes this six, seven black man into PNC Bank and he has a degree and he's speaking a certain way. And they're like, whoa, that's that's. That should not be intimidating, right. but it is. Right. <laughs> that, that should not be something that is held against me. My glass ceiling was right here. Yeah. And, I, and that's why I left corporate America. And I said, you know what? I want to go into teaching. And that's what I did. You, you know, and I, one of the things that's, that's going on now, um, just to share, there was, there was one of my, one of my current, current uh, master's, master's students who's, who's teaching She's white, and she contacted me, almost in tears. And so we were we were doing a Zoom um, meeting, and and her main question was, "What what can I do? I don't understand this. I don't understand what racism is." Um, and it was a and it was a great um, it was it was a great time just to just to share. And one of the main things that I shared with her is that <clears throat> um, talk about it. Listen, listen to listen to all of your um, all of your own kids' um, um, stories about about where they're about where they're from, about about things that things that they've been seeing, but then also share stuff about yourself too. Um, because it's I remember when when, when I was teaching and, and there was some um, there were some current events going on, and our principal said, "Don't." talk about this, mm. you know, just keep on, you know, keep on, keep on teaching. Um, and I was like, no, we're going to, we're going to talk about this. And and the reason being is that our kids know what's going on and they're looking at me, um, you know, and the, and the same thing is true now. Um, you know, even though a lot of our um, classes are now done for the, for the, for the academic year, this question isn't going to leave. Um, just because we're not in school. Right. Um, and then, then, yeah, you know, there's, um, as a, 
as a academic and within within education, I'm always looking for resources out there. And there's and there's a and there's a plethora of of information out there. Um, you know, and, that, and I'm, I'm sorry, Fred. If I can interject real quick, one well, piggyback on that, what you just said about the information. That's the reason that this movement is able to take off the way it is right now. They can they no longer can control the information, and with the click of a one button, we're worldwide now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this, this whole Zoom call is tantamount to that. I mean, with one click of a button, your message can go all the way around the world and back yep. within one minute. You know, I mean, that's the difference between 2020 and 1960. Correct. And I actually no, heard on the news, too, that uh, Australia was organizing peaceful protests in support of right. this movement, too, which is, uh, oh, it, yeah. it gives me goosebumps, the, the power right. that we have right. right now. And to your point, the fact that it was caught on video makes this that much more serious because right. because right. people who want to deny that, you know, that police brutality exists will give the, them the benefit of the doubt. Like, we don't know what he was doing. We don't know. Maybe that was an exaggeration. You know what I mean? Like, just making up excuses. But we right. can't argue right. with an 8-minute and 47-second knee on the neck. You can't argue with that. Like No, you can't. So No, you can't. And, ju- and just imagine all the things that we haven't seen. Right. Correct. No, this right. is just... And, and, and at the same time... Policemen are wearing body arm, I mean body cameras and yeah. we're videotaping and all that. We, we were videotaping when Eric Garner was killed. Mm-hmm. We videotaped when a lot of other people, Philando Castile, so forth and so on. Yeah. But it's still not ending. It's not stopping. And and the frustration comes where it comes from the system. And it comes from the institutionalized racism that this country was founded on. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's and it's really and to be realistic in my mind. It's going to be hard for this country to relinquish that power and to admit that they did this to us. And it's going to take these protesters and everything to wake up. But until we get to the root of everything, uh, it's going to be hard to make a change because they're not going to relinquish it. They're not going to look at television. Look at the look at the portrayals of black people on TV. It's not just, you know, it's not just the way us walking down the street. Mm -hmm. They portray us globally as a criminal they criminalize our black skin just just socially mm-hmm. and we accept it you know and and son there's a lot of black folks that are that are just as culpable as as the white folks out there yeah. and and i think it, that's going to be a long time coming for for us to see uh change but i'm glad this is happening and you listed off a lot of um people who have been victims of this movement or not the movement but of this problem that we're talking about and, you know, Kaepernick took a knee, peaceful, the most peaceful thing that you can possibly do. And people right. made it not about what he made it about. They made it right. about him disrespecting the flag, which is not what that was. Right. And which is all privilege. It all comes down to privilege. They can they can change the narrative and yeah. sway it to their to their uh, to their favor. Right. Because they have all that. They have the power to do so. Yeah. And then they have the industry. Or the, that, the, the NFL backing them up, all those owners mm-hmm. backing them up and saying, yeah, this is about the flag, this is about the flag, this is that, that, that. And Kaepernick constantly said, this is about racial injustice. Yep. But they ignored that and changed the narrative 
And now they want to backpedal because <laughs> of the movement is growing. Yeah. So and we'll as, see. Yeah. And I'm a military member and I fight for people's constitutional rights and their right to free speech. And taking a knee mm-hmm. is your right to that free speech. And it does not offend me at all because that's what I do and I fight for around the world is for people to voice their opinion or their distrust or their disdain for our government. Because if we don't allow them to do that, then how are we better than China or Russia? Like, right. Yeah. Yep, you're exactly right. Um, and that's also another thing as the biggest reason to travel. And uh, I always say... Um, um, I wrote a letter to uh, one of my graduating, not one of my graduating, one of my friends graduating seniors this year because, you know, they couldn't uh, have a ceremony. So she asked me to write a, a letter, open letter to him about what to expect and what he should do in the future. And one of the, one of the biggest things I always say is for parents to buy your child a passport once they get into college or yeah. as a college graduation gift or whatever. Correct. And let them, let them see the world. I love and, that. And there's no better education than mm-hmm. seeing how another country operates and how another country, uh, how, even if it's a negative experience, you will, you will still see that how you're viewed across the world is important to how you're viewed in America. Mm-hmm. And um, unilaterally, you're also, you get to have an education on how America is not run as great as most people think it is, <laughs> you know, because they, they, they filter the news here. But if you watch BBC America or BBC International yep. or the news in another country and see the news, it is totally different than how we see it on ABC and NBC and CBS. Yep. It is totally different. And they, and they, and they put us in a different light and you see the way this, the way this country operates mm-hmm. and it's tantamount to see that. Correct. Well, well, Dex, um, thank you, as always. Um, one of the things that, that uh, and, and you probably talked about it, but one of the things that, that we always do here is we always leave an opportunity for, for all of our guests to, to talk about what their one call to action is. And so, and so given everything, given your own life, given who you are, and what you've done for so many kids. What is your call to action? I think my call to action has always been my personality and how I get along with people of all different backgrounds and all different races, usually right from the start. And uh, Fred is a, Fred and I is a perfect example of that. You know, um, we, we hit it off immediately and became friends and became colleagues and became counterparts and became buddies. And now we, now we're brothers. And this was all from a, a meeting, just how, whatever year that was, 1999. But I think that making yourself open to relationships with all types of people will flatten the curve, so to speak. And but it's one person at a time that has to do that. And you have to be able to wait for people to show them who you are and don't let them don't let them uh, allow you to be something that you're not. And also just be genuine, be caring, be open, be humane, uh, be loving and and just care about people. If you care about people, it, it won't matter what color they are. You know, if you see somebody, if you witness if. You know what? If you were to witness a car accident right now or somebody getting hurt right in front of you, it wouldn't matter what color they are. You would run over and try to help because that's who you are. You care about life. You care about somebody living and whatever. 
But if you see somebody walking down the street and they're coming towards you, you clinch up and go like this, then what? Why is that? What's the difference? I mean, there is a, a big difference in that. So yeah. I'm, what I'm saying is just show that you care and that you love people and just uh, love one another and just you know be open to that. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, and, you know, thanks for joining us today. And I know it was kind of last minute and short notice. So we appreciate, we appreciate your perspective, certainly. And also just the work that you've done with the youth to help, I guess, just be a change agent in the world. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'll to take my five-year-old granddaughter to a, to a peaceful protest. I love that. <laughs> and that's, I mean, I, that's really what I kind of wanted to get at in this one, too, is that there's no age too young to no. exercise your rights, your freedom of speech, no. and to have these conversations that, you know, when you don't like something, it's okay to stand up for it and say, I don't like this. And Right, I right. Feel like and, you know, and, and expose your kids to all different things. You know, we, we give her all different types of foods. We show her all different types of documentaries. We show her all different types of television shows. Mm-hmm. And that makes for a real rounded individual rather than just seeing one genre or one one color of people, mm-hmm. you know, and so you have to be, you have to be universal with uh, your teachings and you have to be universal with your presence. Yeah. Like awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Oh, right, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for it. All right, man. Anytime. All right, take care. Bye.